Good morning, Avon Hope. I'm going to miss saying that to you every Sabbath. And as was mentioned before, uh, this is most likely uh, my second to last Sabbath here at Avon Hope. And as I've reflected back over the last 10 years, if you can believe that, I'm just so amazed at what God has done. And I want to let you know that it's been a blessing and an honor to be a part of God's work here in Loma Linda. Amen? I also want to let you know that the title has changed uh, from what is printed in the bulletin, and the title of the sermon today is Terracotta Treasure. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Dear Father in heaven, we are humbled and honored to play a part in your work, and we just ask that as humble servants, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look around you for a moment. And look at uh, this hall filled with people. When I first came to Loma Linda in 1999, I have to admit that for someone who was searching for, uh, for a place to, to really study the Bible, for someone who was uh, seeking a deeper spiritual uh, relationship with, with Jesus, the options were limited. They were there, but there was nothing like Avon Hope. And what a blessing it is now, in the past seven years, to see how the Holy Spirit has moved on uh, this campus, how the Holy Spirit has moved in this community, on people of all ages, but especially young people. And now we are seeing young people and people of all ages who are excited about doing God's work. They're becoming serious about their faith. They're giving Bible studies, preaching, uh, going door to door, doing evangelism. I believe that we are seeing a revival of primitive godliness here at Loma Linda. And we're seeing that in Southern California, we're seeing that in North America, and we're seeing that in the whole world. Some of you may be visiting, and I just wanted to briefly mention some of the things that are going on to give you an idea of what God is doing in Loma Linda. First of all, there's Restoration. Some of you are familiar with Restoration. It's a student-run evangelistic effort that is conducted on this campus every year. And it has impacted probably thousands of students over the course of the seven years that it's been in existence. And even restoration-like events are happening on other Seventh-day Adventist campuses uh, in North America. Praise God. Of course, Avon Hope. It's a Sabbath school of the Loma Linda University Church. And it fills Burden Hall, where you are sitting today, to capacity every single Sabbath. 
and other Advent Hope groups are also starting across the country. Praise God. We have the Josiah Ministry. The Josiah Ministry is a nonprofit organization that was started here, and it supports many of the ministries, not only here in the local area, but again, across the United States. In fact, many of the youth conferences that you've been hearing about are supported by the Josiah Ministry. One of those youth conferences is Southwest Youth Conference. And this is a, an annual event. It's a retreat that is, uh, has, uh, it attracts hundreds of people every year. And finally, there's Audioverse. Some of you might be listening to this sermon on Audioverse. And Audioverse is a website that offers free sermon downloads online on the internet. Currently, as of May 2009, there are over 18,000 unique visitors every month that download 80,000 MP3s, totaling over 3 terabytes of data from over 140 countries. Praise the Lord. But more exciting than any of these organizations to me is the fact that God would choose to use us in His work. And what excites me is that God is using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And many times He works with, like we said, people of many ages, but especially young people. Young people, they don't have much experience, right? And another thing that young people don't have is money. We usually have debt. So we're poor. And young people uh, also, they are usually in school, so they're still in training. And yet God somehow uses ordinary, normal, average people. In fact, God many times uses people who do not seem qualified. Perhaps they don't seem like they're up to the task, at least in the world's eyes. But today we are going to see that God delights to take unworthy people and use them in His work. That many times God takes those who are the least adequate and asks them to do some extraordinary things for Him. If you think about it, God doesn't even, uh, the fact that God would even use human beings is amazing, isn't it? This is the God who all he needs to do is speak a word and something can exist out of nothing. This is a God who has thousands upon thousands, millions of angels that he can ask to do his bidding and it's done. This is a God that if it, if it takes inanimate objects, even the stones can cry out. This God has not chosen to use any of those methods or thousands more that he, he knows of. He's chosen to use you, and he's chosen to use me. If you think, if you look back in history, and you think of all the, the amazing leaders in God's work, 
you'll find that the majority of them did not feel sufficient for the task that, that God gave them. Let's look at a few examples this morning. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. This is a story of Moses, probably one of the greatest leaders in the history of God's people. The man who led Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, he spoke face to face with God. And this is how he felt when God asked him to to be a leader. Verse 10, Exodus 4, verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Evidently, Moses had some problem with his speech that made it difficult for him to be articulate in front of large groups of people. And he felt insufficient for the task. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. This is a story of another leader. And this leader was the first king of Israel. Now, he wasn't always a great leader, but when he was dependent upon the Lord, when he was humble, God did use him, and God did choose him. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 21 is Saul's response to being called. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family? the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? So what Saul is saying here is, of all the 12 tribes of Israel, I'm from the smallest tribe, Benjamin. And of all the families that compose the tribe of Benjamin, I'm from the smallest tribe, or the least, I mean the least family of the tribe. Why would God choose me. Let's look at another example in Judges chapter 6. This is the story of another man who was called to free God's people from their oppressors, the Midianites. His name was Gideon. One of the most amazing Leaders, one of the most amazing battles that we ever read about in the Bible. But when Gideon was called, he also felt inadequate. Verse 15 of Judges chapter 6. And he, Gideon, said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is what? Poor. In Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Once again, God chooses someone who is the least, and not only that, poor. Can you identify with that? Some of us can. I even think back on the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Many of the pioneers of our church also felt this way. Did you know that William Miller waited eight years to preach the message that God had given him? Why? because he, f- he felt untrained and unprepared to give the message. 
eight years he waited. And Ellen White, an instrumental part of the, the establishment of the Seventh Adventist Church, even she, when she was called by God, felt inadequate. Let me read to you what she wrote in First Testimonies, page 62. She said, My health was so poor that I was in constant bodily suffering, and to all appearance had but a short time to live. I was but 17 years of age, small and frail, unused to society, and naturally so timid and retiring that it was painful for me to meet strangers. I prayed earnestly for several days and far into the night that this burden might be removed from me and laid upon someone more capable of bearing it. Even the great apostle Paul felt this way. And now I'd like you to turn to our, one of our theme texts, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul writes something significant here, describing himself, describing the apostles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Let's stop right there. Earthen vessels. What are earthen vessels? In one sense, they were just common, everyday objects. For Israelites, you'd they would be what uh, Tupperware is for us today. Just pottery that was used for common purposes, such as uh, storing things like oil, um, liquids, uh, wine, that they, the grape juice that they would drink, grain. Sometimes they would store valuables in these clay jars, these clay containers. The Greek word for earthen actually has its root in the word terracotta. And if you're familiar with terracotta, that's a type of clay. Uh, a baked clay, it's a semi-fired type of clay. It's very common to those areas. It's, there's nothing special about it. In fact, to be honest, the word terracotta has an implication of frail. And pottery is, by nature, breakable and uh, fragile. What an apt description of the human vessel, is it not? This, this description I have often felt as an earthen vessel, and perhaps you have as well. And in a very humble way, I would like to share just a small part of my own story as an earthen vessel. And perhaps you might be able to identify. Before I tell you how I came to Loma Linda, I'd just like to mention a few things to help you understand uh, what kind of person I am. One of the things that I fear the most, or makes me the most nervous, believe it or not, is standing in front of a group of people, a large group of people, and speaking. Uh, when I was younger, I, it was one of... I've dreaded it. And one of the reasons why was because I had a similar problem as Moses. If you're a speech pathologist, you understand I had a stuttering problem. Now, there are different, different types of stuttering, but one of the types of stuttering is 
is where you get a block and you can't say a certain word, a certain sound. I had that. And it was very difficult for me, especially when I was nervous, to speak. I had troubles with, with words that started with W and, you know, different consonants, etc. And so, because of that, I had a great fear of public speaking. And that hasn't fully left me, but God is good. I also had very little leadership experience. In fact, I hardly held any leadership positions at all until I came to Loma Linda. I think I was class pastor one year. That's about it. And to be honest, when I first came to Loma Linda, I was still growing spiritually. Not what you would say is a great candidate to be a director of Avent Hope or anything like that. And I just say this because some of you may feel the same way. How could God use me? I'm not ready. I'm not sufficient. And so the story goes that I was planning, I had just graduated from college and I was trying to decide where to go for medical school. And to be honest, some of you may not know this, but I had not planned to matriculate at Loma Linda University. After two weeks of deliberation trying to decide where to go, I had decided to accept a slot in an MD-PhD program uh, at a prominent school on the East Coast. I had an apartment lined up with roommates. I had chosen a laboratory, a research laboratory. I was going to do molecular biology uh, on, uh, with cancer research. And I was just about to buy my plane ticket to Boston when, well, to make a long story short, I felt a strong conviction from the Lord that I was not supposed to go to Boston, but to Loma Linda. Had no idea why. To be honest, Loma Linda's summer program for MD, PhD program had already started, and I was late. So, I packed my bags. Within a few hours, our family was on the road to Loma Linda. I didn't know why I came, but I came in faith, knowing that God had called. And although I did not feel prepared for whatever it was that God had in store, I determined on that ride down to Loma Linda that whatever, God, whatever door God opened, I would step through that door. Well, to shorten the story, during my third year here, someone asked me to run for religious vice president of the student association. And again, remember, I was, uh, I was not a good leadership candidate. In fact, I was terrified even thinking about doing this job. To be responsible for for the spiritual lives of thousands of students. Having a fear of speaking in public. Not having any leadership experience whatsoever in my life. I was terrified. And I was still growing spiritually. But then I remembered my commitment to the Lord when I first came to Loma Linda. 
that I would, that I would do what God asked me to do. And so I accepted the position in spite of myself. That was the year that restoration started. And now you've heard about the many things that God has done through not just me, but all of God's earthen vessels here at Loma Linda. Looking back, though, I'm still very humbled to think that, uh, to think of what I might have been if I hadn't come to Loma Linda, number one, and number two, what I still am without the Lord. And so let's go back to our verse in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Because earthen vessels by themselves, they're just Tupperware, right? And so something needs to be in the earthen vessels. Let's look at this again. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is this treasure? Have you thought about that? The treasure is actually found in the verse before. So let's read verse 6 together now. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot in here. But if we could just focus on a few parts, let's go through this. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, what is Paul referring to here? creation. The God who speaks and creates something out of nothing, the creator God who can recreate in you, he is the one who shines in our hearts. And what does he want to shine in our hearts? The light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God wants to place his glory in you. In a priceless treasure in an earthen vessel. If we look briefly up at chapter 3, verse 18, go back a few verses, we find that as we meditate and as we behold this glory of God, that it changes us into his image. And that is truly a treasure. Turn with me to another verse found in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Here in this verse, which is familiar to many of us, is another description of what is called, well, let's read it together. Verse 27 of Colossians chapter 1 Paul writes, to whom God would make known what is the riches of what? The glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is that glory? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did we not just read that in our previous text? That God wants to place His glory in us. That glory that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. He wants to place in our hearts to give us the hope of glory. This is the message of righteousness by faith. This is the message of, how, of salvation, of how God wants to place His love, His grace into each one of your lives and transform you into a new person.
so that you are not just an earthen vessel. You are a terracotta treasure for the Lord. Why would God put such a valuable treasure into such a nondescript, worthless container? Have you thought about that before? Why would He do that? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and read the rest of the verse. Let's start from the beginning again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of who? God and not of us. You see, if God uses the most talented people, and if He uses the wealthiest people, and if He uses the most prestigious, the most powerful people, then they might be tempted, what? That somehow they contributed to the value of the treasure. But if God uses the least qualified, the ones who feel their insufficiency, then God will get all the glory. If I were to summarize my sermon in a text, Paul says it well in 1 Corinthians. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And so in light of all that we've talked about this morning, think about that as we read, starting in verse 26. Paul says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should, what? Glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, finish it with me, let him glory in the Lord. It's the contrast between the earthen vessel and the amazing treasure that gives the glory to God. I'd like to tell you a story of a treasure, a treasure story. Juma was beginning to get nervous. Some of his goats were climbing too high up the cliff. He decided to climb the face of the cliff himself to bring them back. Little did Juma know, as he began his climb on that January day in 1947, that those straying goats would eventually involve him 
in what is now called the greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century. Such thoughts were far from his mind when he saw two small openings in one of the thousands of caves that dot those barren cliffs overlooking the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. He threw a rock into one of the openings. The unexpected cracking sound surprised him. What else could be in those remote caves but treasure? He called to his cousins, Khalil and Muhammad, who climbed up and heard the exciting tale. But it was getting late, and the goats had to be gathered. Tomorrow they would return. Perhaps their days of following goats would come to an end once the treasure was uncovered. The youngest of the three, Muhammad, rose the next day before his two fellow treasure seekers and made his way to the cave. The cave floor was covered with debris, including broken pottery. And along the wall stood a number of narrow jars, some with their bowl-shaped cupboards still in place. Frantically, Muhammad began to explore the inside of each jar, but no treasure of gold was to be found. Only a few bundles wrapped in cloth and greenish with age. Returning to his cousins, he related the sad news. No treasure. No treasure indeed. Those, the scrolls those Bedouin boys removed from that dark cave that day and the days following would come to be recognized as the greatest manuscript treasure ever found. The first seven manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, initially, those seven scrolls were found, but as archaeologists continued to explore other caves in the area, they eventually found over 800 scrolls and thousands of manuscript fragments. Many of these manuscripts were found in their, some of them were found in their entirety, like the book of Isaiah, and we found that the book of Isaiah is very, is almost identical, actually, to the book of Isaiah that we have nowadays. Uh, once again, uh, authenticating the Bible and its translation. Many people are familiar with this story, but there is more to this story. There is a story that is uh, about a scroll that is often overlooked. In 1952, archaeologists found a small scroll hidden in the back of one of these caves. However, this scroll was different. It wasn't written on uh, leather or papyrus like the other scrolls had been. It was made of copper, and it became known as the Copper Scroll. But over 2,000 years of sitting in the back of a cave, the copper had become corroded, and it was so oxidized that they could not unroll the scroll to read it. It took four years of debate, but finally scholars decided that the only way that they were going to be able to read this scroll would be to cut it into long strips using a small circular saw. And then once they took the pieces apart, they'd be able to read them. When they finally did this and translated the scroll, they found that it contained a list of treasure 
underground hiding places throughout Israel where perhaps the riches from the temple had been stored. Let me read you one of the, uh, the entries, translated, of course. In the cavity of the old house of tribute, in the chain platform, 65 bars of gold. And it just went down in a list, all these places of hidden treasure. Unfortunately, all these places are gone now. Names have changed. Things are different. People have looked for this treasure, but they can't find it. But the treasure is there. Just as fantastic treasure was stored in earthen vessels many, many years ago in Palestine, God wants to do the same thing with each one of us. Perhaps you feel unworthy. Maybe you've done some things in your life that you regret, that you wish you could do over. And you feel like, how could God accept you? How could God use you? Is it too late to do something for God? And I want you to know this morning that God specializes in taking earthen vessels and turning them into terracotta treasures. Perhaps you attend Avon Hope here and you, you feel inexperienced. You feel unprepared to work for God. God wants to take each one of you and use you you may feel that God can never use someone like you. But God, our God is a God that loves to take unworthy causes, people that the world would have given up on a long time ago, and make them his trophies. One of my favorite quotes is found in the book Our Father Cares, page 122. And it reads, What love, what wonderful love was displayed by the Son of God. Christ takes the sinner from the lowest degradation and purifies, refines, and ennobles him. By beholding Jesus as he is, the sinner is transformed and elevated to the very summit of dignity, even to a seat with Christ upon his throne. I want to leave you with this thought. Perhaps many of you feel like Saul. You feel like you are the least of the least. And to be honest, this generation is probably the worst generation in the history of the world. The most wicked, the most violent, the most profane generation that ever lived. Can you agree with me on that? I believe that God wants to take earthen vessels from the worst of the worst generation that ever lived, and He wants to take them, and He wants to make them terracotta treasures. He wants to make them trophies of what the transforming power of God can do in the life. I believe that God will, make, will have a generation 
of people who are able to, who have that treasure inside of them, the glory of God that is shining out to the world, showing his character, and that once he does that, that this, he will be able to pour out his spirit in latter rain power, and he'll be able to come very soon. Do you want to be a part of that generation? Do you want to be a terracotta treasure for the Lord? If you do, why don't we stand and have a final prayer? Oh, Father in heaven, it is a weighty responsibility to accept a call into your work. And as human beings, we realize our frailty, how weak and powerless we are. But we thank you that you have condescended through your Son, through the Holy Spirit, to place a treasure within us that the power that is manifested may not be glorifying to ourselves, but glorifying to you. Help us, we pray, to become part of a generation that accepts the call to bring glory to your name and to spread the message, to distribute the treasure into all the waiting earthen vessels in this world. Thank you for the privilege of serving you is our humble prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.